Welcome to the Legacy Leaders Podcast. Are you doing the best for your client to help them create their legacy? Are you creating a plan that goes far beyond finances to help people ensure that it becomes the driving force behind all decisions? On this podcast, hosts Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller will help you with growing your practice and your client's peace of mind. Together, they bring the best and brightest minds to share with you how to help your clients develop their best legacy. And now, here are your hosts, Katie Beth and Stan. Uh, I'm excited today to be with uh, Jack Walker. Uh, Jack's got a law practice in Durham, North Carolina. He and I have been working together uh, for over 40 years, and I'm excited today because Jack is so knowledgeable and such a great communicator and teacher, and he simplifies a very complicated subject. Uh, At least my experience has been people avoid estate planning for a lot of reasons, and one of them is they procrastinate, but the other is they think it's very complicated and they don't want to deal with it. So Jack and I have been working together for a long time and I feel really excited, as I said today, to be talking with Jack. Jack uh, Walker, he grew up in Concord, North Carolina and uh, went to Davidson. Uh, And Jack, when you were at Davidson, uh, when did you decide that you wanted to go to law school? Mike, I guess it was um, the summer before my senior year there when I had a college work-study summer uh, work work, work relationship at Pilot Life Insurance Company in Greensboro. And for a month, I worked in the um, legal counsel's office. There were three lawyers there doing all the work for the entire company. and. I did a lot of uh, a good bit of reading of cases and reviewing of some claims and stuff like that. And I guess that's what tilted it towards, um, towards law school. I didn't have much, uh, much else to really ponder. I wanted to, I wanted to toot my horn if I could. Um, I'm a trumpet player, but I realized I wouldn't be able to make a living tooting my horn. So went to law school instead. I still toot my horn a lot though. So, uh, you know, when you were in law school, school, what uh, made you think you wanted to get into estate planning? Because I know that you don't have to declare or do anything when you first get into law school. It's usually general. Uh, nothing. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't have any idea that uh, I would wind up being an estate planner when I was in law school. Uh, on the other hand, I really, I really kind of envisioned I would be a trial lawyer. Um, even, even assuming that I might be practicing in in litigation, I still had, thank goodness, um, I made the decision to take all the tax courses I could I could get in law school. And so, when I decided in practice of law that I wasn't going to be a very good litigator. I had these tax courses that really helped me spring forward in estate planning. So it really, the estate planning practice uh, focus was maybe only maybe five years really into my practice. Certainly was not at the outset of it at all. 
So, so you started out in litigation? Well, I started out thinking that I was was going to be a litigator, and and for for five about you know for the first five years, I did a, a good bit of litigation. I had a capital murder case, um, and um, I did some civil litigation work as well. But I realized that I wasn't uh, wasn't going to be happy in that, and thank goodness I had this uh, tax background, and then. Uh, just evolved more and more and more in tax planning, and that led me more and more to estate planning. And so that's how it evolved, mainly from an interest in tax law, is is how I got into estate planning. So uh, when you went with your first law firm out of when you graduated from law school, uh, were they very diverse in what they did, or were they mainly litigation and it must have had some must have had something in estate planning it was a general i mean it was a general practice firm covering a lot of different things but the firm was was particularly strong uh in business law and in estate planning so it had that they were strong in that emphasis yes and so um and I got real lucky, real, real, real lucky when I was 25 years old. Was, I had been practicing about six months, and I was introduced to the to the firm's uh, top client and um, a very wealthy individual in Durham, and we hit it off. And, I, and of course, his, he has a, had a lot of tax needs, and so he turned to me for that, and then his estate planning needs, and so it just kind of mushroomed from that. So... Uh, how were you able to, at such a young age, uh, appeal to the partners and the other attorneys at that first law firm to introduce you to one of their top clients? What? How, what, how did that happen? Well, it goes back to my uh, my courses in tax law. Um, so th this client was in the office uh, meeting with the senior partner who was his lawyer about a tax matter and he couldn't he couldn't uh, answer the question um the tax question and so he called me up to the conference room and I went in and so the the client presented the question to me and um I told him I didn't know the answer but I could sure find out for him and and I found out the answer and related to him and so we just bonded we just I got lucky I just bonded but I was called in because of just my, I was, uh, you know, a recent grad from tax, from law school and, and uh, was up on all the tax laws. And it just, hmm. I, I was the resource in tax law for the firm uh, very quickly. I was the resource man. So after being in the law firm for a few years, um, you had decided to start your own practice. And why, why did you decide to do that? Jack? For multiple reasons. I, I practiced from 69 to uh, 83. And then in September of 83, 40 years ago this month, um, I decided to leave the firm that had that, that hired me out of law school for a couple of reasons. The first one uh, was um, that I didn't think that we were doing as much cutting edge as we could in um, legal technology legal research, um, 
uh, in those days, um, uh, we, you know, modems were being introduced and the firm was kind of slow to, to react to those things. And I just thought we should be more aggressive. So that was a major reason for leaving. And uh, just a desire to just kind of be my own boss and do my own thing. Uh, start from scratch with a good friend of mine, uh, another lawyer in town, colleague. So uh, give us an idea about uh, what does an ideal client look like? What 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 does a client to you fit the kind of person you want to work with? Because I know now you, and you've, you've been able to do it for a long time. You, you get to pick your clients just like they get to pick you. Well, I'm in my 55th year of practicing law. So, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've seen clients of all sizes and shapes. Uh, actually, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard question for me to answer. I, I, um, I enjoy representing all shapes, sizes, and forms. Um, engineers who ask, you know, question after question after question after question. I guess the, the 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 classic prototype client that I would like would be someone who is uh, who is not a know-it-all, um, who, who knows that things are more complicated than that, than meets their eye, and that they need help with planning. Um, that uh, they're relatively objective about the world around them. Um, my, my pet peeve in life really are people who have strong views about things they know nothing about. And there's, <laughs> there, there's a lot of that around. And so uh, a person who's not a know-it-all is very appealing to me and someone who recognizes that, um, that, uh, that they need planning and they need help with it. I guess that's the a bottom the bottom line. Uh, there are other characteristics, but that's the major thing for me. So, what would be, you know, I know it's a very general question, but what are some of the common issues that you seem to help with, pretty much in dealing with existing clients and prospects? Those common issues. Well, the, the common the, the common issue in estate planning is um, uh, the, the 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 client's ignorance, which is understandable, um, of all the ways that assets pass at death, and and their belief, understandably again, but incorrectly, that everything passes under their will. And therefore, they think it's very simple. Everything passes through the will, and of course, it's my job is to is to uh, correct them about that, and then to point out that there are a lot of different testamentary arrangements, the will just being one of those arrangements, and that all those other arrangements need to be in sync, or otherwise, you don't have estate planning. You know, does it matter how you own your assets? Of course, it does. If things are in joint names, they don't pass through the will. Beneficiary designations to be need to be in good order, um, and so it's it's making sure that 
that I do my job to educate them about how the pieces fit so they can see the big picture. So I think you probably just hit on one of my other questions I was going to ask you. And if you want to uh, provide some more thought about it, the misconceptions that people have uh, about estate planning. Uh, and I think you kind of hit on it pretty well when you said assets don't pass 100% whatever's in your will, but are there any other misconceptions that you and people have? Well, I, I did a seminar topic for many, many years called the, the 10 Deadly Estate Planning Sins. And, um, and of course, one of them is that uh, thinking that it's very simple. I've alluded to that. People come in thinking that, well, it's very simple. Just, um, let's, you know, where do I sign my will, leaving everything to my spouse and to my children or whatever? And it's far more than that. Um, so, um, you know, addressing the, 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 the problem of thinking too, thinking that the matter is simple and it's really not simple. It's not rocket science, but it's not simple. Um, uh, making sure that beneficiary designations are in good order. Um, there are misconceptions about beneficiary designations. The clients who want to leave everything to their spouse and then in a trust for their minor children. And yet they have the beneficiary designations payable to their children, so it doesn't go into the trust. Um, but that's, again, thinking of the problem there is that people think it's simple and it's not simple. Um, uh, making uh, common misconceptions could be how to leave things to, uh, how to leave bequests to charities. Uh, it's certainly desirable to, to fund charitable bequests with your dirty assets, I call them, which are IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, and those things shouldn't really pass through the will, so it needs to be taken care of in beneficiary designations, and clients need to know how to word that. Um, there, are, there are a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings and problems. Uh, the difficult part of what I do is always in blended marriages, where you've got uh, uh, the clients in, in the office and they, they've had a previous marriage that either ended in divorce or separation uh, or, or death and they have children by a previous marriage and, and, um, and how to handle that, those blended marriages is actually an extremely difficult problem. And, um, and, and sometimes it works out just fine. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but clients come in the office and of course they, they're in a blended marriage, but they don't perceive how difficult it is when they die. Um, and so people who have these blended marriages need lots of help and really don't recognize it. And a lot of people just don't ever handle it properly. Well, I've uh, used something in my practice that I'd like for you to comment on because you've been more involved in uh the death situations and the probate and the estate settlement. Cause I know that's part of what your practice is about. And one of the things that I really think is a really good description of it is you never really know a person until you divide an inheritance with them. And so what 
what kind of conversation can we have about that? I know that that's been something that's been very active in your practice. Well, we we do uh, we do a lot of estate planning, of course, to make sure that people have done the right things before they die. Uh, and then, of course, when death occurs, uh, we may have two hundred estates right now that we're helping administer, and. Um, We've been fortunate. It's been unusual. It's been unusual for to see some estates um, not being administered to the satisfaction of all the beneficiaries. It's been very unusual that that was not the case. So what I'm saying is that most beneficiaries of our estates have been content with what's what's how the estate is administered and what mom and dad did, for instance. Every now and then you have a case where where clients, beneficiaries are upset or concerned about what mom and dad did and, um, you know, might want to contest things. Well, I've only had one one contest, one contest in 55 years. So I've been very, very lucky with that. Um, an issue that that is of concern is for some families is. Uh, when you're choosing fiduciaries, for instance, like trusts or executors, you know, which child to choose or to, whether to choose all the children to act together and um, and helping clients decide what to do with that. There can be a lot of acrimony uh, if that's not handled correctly. We always tell clients where we can have the, the, the you know, the, the, the possibility of foreseeing some problem when they die that their children might have. We always tell clients to try to, to face that before they die, face that with their children before they die. So they, the children hear about this potential issue or the problem, so to speak, whether it's an unequal division of assets or one child's getting assets outright versus a trust that the client discusses that with their children before they die versus the children hearing it from some, some lawyer and think there's some mistake. But, you, you know, you've hit on an issue which is extremely, extremely important, and that is the people issues. Um, the, the, the legal part, the tax part of what we do, of course, after doing it 55 years, for me right now is relatively simple. But the people issues are just huge, huge. And drilling down as far as you can in client conferences to figure out, it, to try to see as, as many people issues, anticipate them as you can is extremely important. And if you can anticipate them in advance, it's, it's really important for the client to discuss those things with the, with the potential beneficiary before death occurs or disability occurs. So can you give us a, you know, an example of something that went wrong or a case that uh, the children or the beneficiaries, I know sure. you hadn't had many of them. Well, sure. Um, they, uh, so a client of mine comes in to, um, to do her estate plan and she has two children 
and the estate, the documents, the will and the trust, they work together, leave everything to the two children in equal shares. And um, when she signs her estate plan, we tell her that it's good to have a review every four or five years, even if she thinks nothing has changed. And 10 years later, 10 years later, she dies without a review. And the daughter comes in to start the administration of the estate. And I asked the daughter about what the estate consists of. And it's a $4 million, mainly in investment accounts. And um, come to find out that the $4 million is in joint names with the daughter. So the client took assets out of her own name or out of the name of her trust and put it in joint names with the daughter because the daughter was the caregiver for the mother. And other advisors had suggested that it would be easier for the daughter to deal with those things if they're in joint names. And I asked the daughter if she wanted to share the $4 million with her brother. She said no. And that's that's called that's called accidental disinheritance. <laughs> uh, and so that was a that was a two million dollar mistake. Um, and so how does that happen? That happened because, uh, to a certain to a certain extent, the client thought things were simple. She took the advice of some banker or broker instead of coming back to see a lawyer. Uh, to a certain extent, she became her own lawyer. You know, who knows what advice she heard. It could have been at Bridge Club. It could have been at Sunday School. Oh, put things in joint names would be easier for your daughter. And so to a certain extent, she was her own lawyer. Uh, so um, that's something that went badly wrong. And so um, we, you know, we tell every client, not to put anything in joint names with the child ever, ever, ever. If we're the lawyers and we, and we do, we've done the planning for them, um, and and that's often clients often forget our advice and ignore it and make the mistake put things in joint names and it can lead to huge accidental disinheritance. That's an example of something that that I worry about because it's commonplace. It's commonplace as clients get older and infirm. They hear from all over the countryside, you know, put things in joint names with the child's taking care of you. And so with good planning, you should never do that ever, ever. Well, speaking of good planning, give me an example of something that really went well, where the the the, the reviews, the documents, and the strategy turned out fabulous. <laughs> oh, my well, I'm, I'm happy to say, you know, that, that most of our planning does pan out the way it's supposed to. Um, I represented a retired Superior Court judge um, who had a nice size estate. And in January of last year, he was diagnosed with ALS. And he died in May. One of the saddest things I've ever seen. Thank goodness uh, he he took 
his legal problems that his declining health was causing very seriously. The typical person probably would not have given much emphasis to their legal planning and would worry more about their health planning. But he suffered through his health health crisis and it declined almost daily. And we met 10 or 11 times between January and the time he died to get everything just exactly where it needed to be an asset ownership, beneficiary ownership, probate avoidance, um, tax planning, et cetera, because he understood the need for all this or some huge problems could have erupted. And so we had a very, very good result. The bad, the, the bad news is that I lost a dear friend in the saddest way I can imaginable. But um, everything was left the way he wanted it, as he, as he wanted it, in a tax-efficient way uh, to maximize the benefit for all the beneficiaries. And as I said before, the typical person, as they get sick, you know, and, and sometimes understandably so, just don't put the emphasis as they should on getting their affairs in good order. And because he did, he had a very good result. And so uh, I feel good about about four months of a lot of work to get things in good order for him to die and with good peace of mind. Well, I feel like uh, you have a good uh, legacy there with your firm, Walker Lamb. And uh, what's the best way for uh, folks if they want to get in contact with you or the firm, what's the best way to do that? Well, I, you know, visit our website. Uh, our website is uh, walkerlamb.com. Walkerlamb, lamb, L-A-M-B-E, dot com. And that has a phone number in it, of course. It has the it has uh, e- email addresses for the lawyers in it as well. Um, so, Picking up the phone or email uh, would be, uh, and if somebody emails, uh, you know, as you, as you, uh, just like you, I get lots of spam stuff. And so if somebody is interested in connecting with us from the outside that we don't know, they need to make sure that uh, it comes across that it doesn't look like spam. So, uh, you know, I prefer a phone call, actually, but uh, we would get lots of email. That would work fine. WalkerLamb.com, L-A-M-B-E, Walker, L-A-M-B-E.com, website. Jack, appreciate your uh, time today, and thank you. And uh, as a quote-unquote super lawyer, uh, I can know that people will appreciate not only your legal knowledge and expertise, but again, your experience and your people knowledge. I mean, when you put it all together, it takes a very complicated subject that I know you don't have to drill down on 100% of that complications with people, but you know how to cut to the chase. And we really appreciate you and thank you for taking the time to have this conversation. Well, Mike, you've been a great friend for 40 years or more. And I've enjoyed every minute we've worked together. 
I know a few people who know as much about law as a non-lawyer as Mike Slaughter does. Been great to work with. I appreciate it, Jack. Thank you, and uh, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Legacy Leaders Podcast with Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller. For more information on them and the show, please visit PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. If you like what you've learned today, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.